This morning's reading is from John 14, 15 through 26. If you love me, you will keep my commandments, and I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper to be with you forever, even the spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. Yet a little while, and the world will see me no more, but you will see me. Because I live, you also will live. In that day, you will know that I am in my Father, and you in me, and I in you. Whoever has my commandments and keeps them, he it is who loves me. And he who loves me will be loved by my Father. And I will love him and manifest myself to him. Judas, not Iscariot, said to him, Lord, how is it that you will manifest yourself to us and not to the world? Jesus answered him, If anyone loves me, he will keep my word, and my Father will love him, and we will come to him and make our home with him. Whoever does not love me does not keep my words. And the word that you hear is not mine, but the Father's who sent me. These things I have spoken to you while I am still with you. But the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all these things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. The word of the Lord. Good morning. Thank you so much for being with us on this uh, rainy uh, last Sunday of October. It's good to have you with us today. Uh, next week, if you show up at this time, you will have an hour of prayer before the service begins because next week is a week we fall into fall, so we get to actually save an hour uh, next Saturday night, so um, keep that in mind. Uh, as we begin this morning, I want to mention that we're going to have some special guests uh, with us later today, but they're not in our earlier service. George and Phyllis Crispy are missionaries we support in Malawi. And uh, on the screen, you'll see one of the little projects they do. George and Phyllis have a way of identifying needs in the country of Malawi that really help the people. One of the needs they identify was uh, w was a need for bridges over certain large creeks or rivers so that people could save time and carrying water home and things like this. And so our uh, missions team, our outreach team, has recently approved a special gift to them to build. Uh, it'll be used toward building a bridge like the one you see there. That one's already, of course, built. But uh, just a reminder to thank you for your giving because uh, out of all your giving to our general fund, our missions team immediately... Uh, has 11% that they prayerfully manage to invest in support of our missionaries and missions. That's not all of the outreach giving we do, uh, but that's, that's a significant opportunity to help people like the Crispies and the people of Malawi. So I want to say thank you for your part in that. And thank you again for being here this morning as we continue our study of the Apostles' Creed. You'll see this morning, the Apostles' Creed is actually printed in your bulletin. And uh, if you've got a, a, a copy, if you've got a worship guide at the door, you may want to look at that. We're going to talk about it in a moment. <clears throat> but just a word of background, the Apostles' Creed is uh, undoubtedly the most widely used profession of faith, a statement of belief that Christians have used over the centuries around the world and across the whole spectrum of Christian belief, Orthodox, Catholic, Protestant, and everything in between, the Apostles' Creed has been professed by Christians to state what they believe. Now, if you look at the Apostles' Creed as it's printed in your bulletin there, you see uh, it begins, I believe in God the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth, and then I believe in Jesus Christ, God's only Son, our Lord. Well, the weight of the creed 
after this is given to uh, professing belief in Jesus, uh, who he is, uh, what he did. And then we get to the line, three lines from the bottom, I believe in the Holy Spirit. Just a brief, brief mention of the Holy Spirit. However, the work of the Holy Spirit is seen throughout the statements of the creed. For example, when we say, I believe in God, the Father Almighty, the creator of heaven and earth, as we study the Bible, we'll see that the Holy Spirit was very much involved in creation. When we uh, see in the creed that Jesus was conceived, he was conceived by the Holy Spirit in uh, the womb of the Virgin Mary. When Jesus was raised from the dead, it was the power of the Holy Spirit that raised him from the dead. As we talk about the resurrection of those who are believers one day, it will be the Holy Spirit again who will bring that about. So, though he's only mentioned briefly in the creed, his work is seen throughout the Apostles' Creed. Now, this morning, I want to talk about this statement of belief in the Holy Spirit, what we mean when we say, I believe in the Holy Spirit. I think the role of the Holy Spirit in our lives is far, far, far more important than many Christians understand and experience in their lives. Now, Bridget read a moment ago from John chapter 14. On the screen, you'll see some additional verses from John chapter 16. It's the same lengthy conversation Jesus was having with his disciples. And he says in verse 7 of chapter 16, Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away. Now think about that for a moment. Jesus is talking to his, his 12 disciples. And he's saying, it's good for you, advantageous for you that I'm going away. Now, imagine how that must have sounded to them. They had seen Jesus, this teacher they had followed. They had seen him literally raise the dead. They had seen him miraculously heal every manner of disease. They had seen him, if he needed money to pay their taxes, tell Peter to go catch a fish and you'll find a gold coin in his mouth. They had seen him multiply loaves and fish to feed hungry people. They had seen him walk on water. It, it was amazing what they'd seen. And now he says, it's good for you that I'm going away. How could that possibly be good for them? Well, he explained. It's to your advantage that I go away, for if I do not go away, the helper will not come. Now, you notice helper is capitalized because he's speaking about God, the Holy Spirit. But if I go, I will send him to you. And when he comes, he will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. Concerning sin, because they do not believe in me. Concerning righteousness, because I go to the Father and you will see me no longer. Concerning judgment, because the ruler of this world is judged. What he's essentially saying is the Holy Spirit is the one who's going to show people who don't believe in me why they should. They'll have a conviction of their sin. It's the Holy Spirit doing this work. He continues, I still have many things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. When the Spirit of truth comes, that is when the Holy Spirit is at work in your life, He will guide you into all the truth. For He will not speak on His own authority, but whatever He hears, that He will speak, and He will declare to you the things that are to come. He will glorify me, for He will take what is mine and declare it to you. 
All that the Father has is mine. Therefore I said that he will take what is mine and declare it to you. Remarkable statements about what the Holy Spirit does. This morning, I'd like to take just a few minutes and talk about who the Holy Spirit is, what he does in the, in the lives of believers, followers of Jesus, and what our response should be to him, how we should relate to him. I guess since he's a third person of the Trinity, it's fitting that we have three points and three subpoints today. But we'll, we'll look at uh, the first grouping of three as we talk about who he is. The Holy Spirit is, first of all, the third person of the Trinity. Now, we've talked about the Trinity a whole lot in our church. If you've been around, you've probably heard us talk about the Trinity. The, the doctrine of the Trinity or the biblical teaching of the Trinity is simply this. There's one God, only one God. He exists eternally as three distinct persons, the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, each of whom is fully God. The divine team, as one theologian has called it. But you see in the beginning when God's creating the work of the Spirit, even there, in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and void and darkness was over the face of the deep and the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. And God said, let there be light, and there was light. The Holy Spirit was with the Father and the Son in the beginning, before creation. The Holy Spirit is God, as much as the Father is God and Jesus is God. There's not as much teaching about his deity in the New, in the New Testament, but there's some, for example, in the book of Acts, the passage you see on the screen there was this man named Ananias and his wife Sapphira, and they tried to deceive the apostles. They tried to, uh, they felt they could hide something from them, and in their deception, it was revealed to Peter what they were doing. And so he says, Ananias, why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit? And then if you look at the last line in that passage from Acts chapter 5 and verse 4, he says, you've not lied to man. But to God, when you lie to the Holy Spirit, you're lying to God. Because the Holy Spirit is God. And then finally, in 2 Corinthians chapter 3, there's the clear statement, the Lord is the Spirit. Where the Spirit of the Lord is, there's freedom. The little diagram you see, the, the uh, illustration on the screen, is one that has been used, as far as I know, for centuries in the Christian church to depict this understanding of one God, yet three distinct persons. And you see around the edge of this Trinity shield, the Father is not the Son, they're distinct. The Father is not the Holy Spirit, they're distinct, yet each of them is fully God. We've prepared a little booklet that's uh, simply called Understanding the Trinity. You, they're out at the Resource Center, they're free if you ever want to study the subject more, you can pick one up there. But I want to just begin this morning by making the point that the Holy Spirit is fully God. Never talk about the Holy Spirit as it or some kind of a force. I think that's dishonoring to the Holy Spirit. He's God. As Peter said, if you lie to the Holy Spirit, you've not lied to men, but you've lied to God. Secondly, 
as we talk about who he is, he's not only the third person of the Trinity, but he's God in us. Now, in the passage that was read a moment ago, Jesus said, I'll ask the Father, and he'll give you another helper to be with you forever, even the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him, and notice now what he says. He dwells with you and will be in you. The Holy Spirit is God with us, God in us. Jesus went on to say something that might sound a little confusing unless we really understand the Trinity. Jesus answered, if, if anyone loves me, he'll keep my word, and my Father will love him, and we will come to him and make our home with him. Notice that. We will come to him and make our home with him. Now, he just said the Holy Spirit will dwell in you. Now he's saying the Father and I will dwell in you. Well, what does he mean by this? It's simply an emphasis on the oneness of the Trinity. That there is one God who exists eternally as three distinct persons. And the Holy Spirit is the one who is God living inside the believer. God with us. So he's the third person of the Trinity. He's God who indwells every true believer. And a, a third thing to know about him. It's particularly important to understand this when you're reading the Bible and you need his help in understanding the Bible. He's the inspirer of Scripture. Now, I'm not sure inspire is a word. It may not be a word at all. Probably better to say the one who inspired Scripture, but he's the inspirer of Scripture. Peter, the apostle, wrote the words you see on the screen. He wrote, no prophecy of Scripture comes from someone's own interpretation. No prophecy was ever produced by the will of man. And this is how we got our Scripture now. Men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. It's almost the image of, of, a, of a boat with sails. It's being borne along, carried along by the wind. The Holy Spirit guided the writers that wrote Scripture so that the words we got are the very words of God. The Holy Spirit preserved Scripture so that the church recognized the truth of the true Scriptures over time. And now when you and I read the Holy Scripture, uh, the Scripture, one of the ways the Holy Spirit helps us is He illumines our mind to understand what He inspired. So the Holy Spirit is the third person of the Trinity. He's God in us the inspirer of Scripture. Well, let's talk for a minute about what he does. Jesus said he's the helper. Well, he knows that he helps us. When Jesus says, I'll give you another helper, he's comparing the Holy Spirit to himself. He's essentially saying, I'll give you another helper just like I have been your helper, one called alongside to help you, to guide you, to teach you, to direct you in life. He'll teach you all things and bring to remembrance all things that I've said to you. How does the Holy Spirit help us? I think one way he helps us is he, he works to conform each one of us, each one who's, who's a follower of Jesus, who's a believer, who's a Christian. He works in us to conform us to the likeness of Jesus, to make us more like Christ. 
the Bible describes this likeness using the fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, long-suffering or patience, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance. These are qualities that God the Holy Spirit wants to build in you and me so that our lives represent Jesus more fully, more clearly to the world. And it's the Holy Spirit who helps us in this. Having the fruit of the Spirit is not about just determining, having greater resolve, greater willpower that I'm going to change. It's allowing the Spirit more control in your life. Secondly, He not only helps us, He guides us. Jesus said when the Spirit of truth comes, He'll guide you into all the truth. Now we've already seen that the Holy Spirit inspired the Scripture, which is the truth. And the Holy Spirit will be your partner in Bible study. If you'll take time when you're reading Scripture to prayerfully reflect upon it, I think you'll find that the Holy Spirit will often work in you to, to apply the words of Scripture to your life, to bring about needed change, to bring encouragement, to bring hope. And I think this is the primary way He guides us through Scripture. But I'd say it's not the only way. In the book of 1 John chapter 2, the Apostle John was writing the church about people who were trying to deceive them. And, and these folks didn't, didn't even have an a, a entire Bible like we, we do today. They had the letters John was writing and apostles and others. But John was concerned that they not be deceived about these false teachers. And he says something interesting to them. He said, the anointing you've received from him, from Christ, abides in you and teaches you what is true. What do you mean by that? I think he's talking about the presence of the Holy Spirit. He'll guide you into truth. I can remember when I was in college, a very young, new believer in Jesus did not know much about the Bible. And between my junior and senior year of college, my roommate and I went on a great adventure. We, we traveled around the United States in his little Toyota Corolla and camped and stopped. But then we spent the bulk of the summer um, living in a house, an empty fraternity house, at the University of California at Berkeley. And I had a job pumping gas at the Bay Super Shell gas station right on the San Francisco Bay. And the reason I got that job was the owner of the gas station was from Monroe, North Carolina. And he met two boys from North Carolina who wanted to give them a, a job. Well, it was quite an experience to live there uh, in Berkeley. Even being from Chapel Hill, I hadn't seen a town quite like uh, Berkeley before. But um, one Sunday morning, uh, my, my friend and I, we decided to go to church. Now, we may have been the only college-age students on that whole campus who got up early one morning to go to church, but the two boys from North Carolina, you know, they're going to go to church. So we went to church one day. I didn't know what kind of church it was. I'd never heard of that kind of church. And um, all I knew is it was weird. And there were, there were not, there were very few people there, just persons scattered here and there. I left there, I don't remember 
one single thing that happened in that service. Later I learned that that church would be considered by, by many, perhaps most Christians, to be a cult. And I felt that in my experience there, young and not knowing much as I did, the Holy Spirit was just protecting me. Even being there, not knowing anything at all, I could tell something was not right, something was not good. The Holy Spirit will bear witness to the truth. He bears witness, the Bible says, with our spirit that we're children of God. That's how you have a deep inward knowing and assurance of your own salvation. It's by the work of the Holy Spirit affirming the promises of Scripture. He helps us. He guides us. He empowers us. Jesus said after his resurrection, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in Judea and in Samaria and to the ends of the earth. You'll receive power. Every single believer in Jesus, every single Christian is given this power. We only experience it to varying degrees. But every believer is called to be a witness. The power of the Holy Spirit, the promise you see on the screen, you'll receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. It was not limited to the disciples. It is not merely for missionaries, full-time workers. The next chapter of Acts, Peter is preaching after this power has been poured upon the church, not just the disciples, men and women in the upper room, 120 people. And as he's explaining what's happened, he tells the people to repent, to be baptized. And he says, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise is for you and your children and for all who are far off, everyone whom the Lord our God shall call to him. The promise of the Holy Spirit is for every believer and with the power of the Spirit comes the power to be a witness. He helps us, he guides us, he empowers us. Now here's the good news about that. You and I don't have to go out into the world and try to convert people in our own strength. It's the power of the Holy Spirit working in us, working through us, that enables us to live as witnesses so that the difference in our life is a witness, but also to verbally share the gospel as witnesses. And beyond that, this power brings with the presence of the Spirit giftedness. The Apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians chapter 12 uh, talks at length about spiritual gifts and here's what he says. All of these, all of these gifts are empowered by one and the same Spirit who apportions to each one individually as he wills. So it's the Holy Spirit who determines what gifts he wants to put in your life and what gifts he wants to put in my life. And so our response to him should be, Lord, your will be done. Give me the gifts that you want to use to bless other people, to help other people, to build up your body. So what does he do? He helps us, he guides us, he empowers us. Now let's talk for just a few minutes about how we should respond or relate to the Holy Spirit. What, what should 
a follower of Jesus' response be to the Holy Spirit? How should we relate to him? First, by honoring his presence. The Apostle Paul wrote the words you see on the screen, and when he wrote these to the Corinthians, the, the context of the passage was to urge them not to do immoral things with their bodies. And he says, do you not know your body's a temple of the Holy Spirit? What a remarkable thing to tell people. Your body's a temple of the Holy Spirit, whom you have from God. You are not your own. You were bought with a price, so glorify God in your body. If the Holy Spirit lives in, in our bodies, we should be sure we're not dishonoring him by doing something dishonorable with our bodies. So that's one sense in which we should honor his presence. Another sense in which we should honor his presence is by not neglecting the reality of his presence. Acknowledging him. Honoring him. What difference should it make in your life and mine if God the Holy Spirit is living within me when I get up and walk out of the door of my house tomorrow morning? I want to read a quote to you by a man named uh, Dr. Richard Loveless, who is deceased, but was for many years a uh, professor at Gordon-Conwell Seminary. And he wrote a, a really well-known book called Dynamics of Spiritual Life. It was about revival, experiencing the power of the Spirit in the church. And he wrote these words. The typical relationship between believers and the Holy Spirit in today's church is too often like that between the husband and wife in a bad marriage. They live under the same roof and the husband makes constant use of his wife's services, but he fails to communicate with her, recognize her presence, and celebrate their relationship with her. In other words, they live under the same roof, but there's not real communion, fellowship, joyful communication in the relationship. And he's saying the relationship of a lot of believers with the Holy Spirit is like that. He writes, what should be done to remedy the situation? We should make a deliberate effort at the outset of every day to recognize the person of the Holy Spirit, to move into the light concerning his presence and our consciousness and to open up our minds and to share all our thoughts and plans as we gaze by faith into the face of God. We should continue to walk throughout the day in a relationship of communication and communion with the Spirit. We should acknowledge him as the illuminator of truth, of the scripture, of the glory of Christ. We should look to him as teacher, guide, sanctifier, that is the one who helps us be holy, giver of assurance. He goes on to say, we should especially recognize that our growth involves dependent fellowship with a person. Walk by the Spirit. And you will not fulfill the desire of the flesh. And he goes on to say, when this practice of the presence of God is maintained over a period of time, our experience of the Holy Spirit will become less subjective and more clearly identifiable. You hear what he's saying? There's the potential for a closer walk with God. With God the Holy Spirit. As a, as a guy in my small group, a missional discipleship group said this week, he, 
or last week, I don't recall, he said, we, we live far below our privileges, I think, when it comes to the Holy Spirit. And I think he's, he's right about that. Let me ask you this morning. Are you experiencing, are you enjoying the presence of the Holy Spirit in your life day by day? Are you acknowledging Him, recognizing Him, honoring Him as your helper, your guide, your empowerer, the one who's calling you to be a witness for Jesus Christ? To what degree is His presence and power at work in your life? I want to pause right here and pray for a moment that we would open our hearts more fully to His presence. Father, if there's any way that we are dishonoring Your Spirit, and I'm talking about those of us here who are followers of Jesus, who are believers, if there's any way we're dishonoring You, Lord, by things we're doing or saying, things we're watching, things we're engaging in, Would you bring it to mind this morning so that we could repent? Lord, if there's any way that we're simply neglecting you day by day, Would you speak to us about that? Would you more fully work in us by your Spirit so we would know the greatness of your power available to us as believers? And we would walk in that power. Lord, make us your witnesses. And give us greater boldness to represent you well. In the name of Jesus. So how should followers of Jesus relate to the Holy Spirit? By honoring His presence. Second, by humble reliance upon His power. We see the same verse again. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you will be my witnesses. The teaching of the New Testament, I think, is this. God gives His power to those who recognize their need for His power, for those who humble themselves, for those who, who, who come in reliance upon Him, complete reliance upon Him. One of the greatest examples of this in the New Testament is, is the Apostle Paul. The Apostle Paul was a brilliant man. He was an educated man. Unlike many of other Jesus, uh, Jesus' disciples, Peter, John, they were uneducated, they were fishermen, not Paul. He had the best education. He was brilliant. He surpassed most others in his uh, religious knowledge. Yet, he came to this recognition that everything he'd accumulated was nothing if it kept him from the knowledge, the true personal knowledge of Jesus. And in the book of 2 Corinthians, chapters 11 and 12, he's talking about what he suffered. And 
he lists all these things he went through. I mean, it's an incredible list if you read it. He talks about his countless beatings, uh, often near death. Five times I received at the hands of the Jews 39 lashes. Three times I was beaten with rods. I was stoned. I was shipwrecked. I was adrift at sea. Danger from the Gentiles. Danger in the city in toil and in hardship, many a sleepless night, in hunger and thirst, often without food and cold and exposure, the daily pressure of all the churches. And then he talks about this particular uh, thing he calls a thorn in the flesh buffeting him. He calls it a messenger of Satan. And he said, I prayed for God to take it away. And all God said was this, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. My power is made perfect in weakness. So Paul says, I'll boast all the more of my weakness so the power of Christ can rest upon me. You hear what he's saying? I'll be weak if I need to be weak. I'll be the weakest of all people if need be as long as I can have the power of Christ. God gives his power where there is humility where there is reliance, dependence upon Him, recognition of our need for Him, of His grace, of His power, of His strength. And related to this, we should not only humbly, humbly rely on His power, but receive the boldness that He brings in sharing the gospel. If you read the New Testament book of Acts, you'll see that something happened to disciples when they were filled with the Holy Spirit. They became bold in their sharing of the gospel. And when they shared the gospel, things happened. Peter and John, who again were uneducated. In fact, that very chapter, Acts chapter 4, says the religious people noticed that they're, they're common men. They're uneducated. They're fishermen. But there's power with them. And they forbade them to speak in Jesus' name. So they went back, they gathered the other believers, um, and they prayed. Notice what the Bible says. The place in which they were gathered was shaken, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and continued to speak the Word of God with boldness. They were filled with the Holy Spirit and continued to speak the Word of God with boldness. Where there is the fullness of the Spirit, there is boldness boldness in speaking in declaring the word of God. I want to skip ahead um, to the, the personal application part here uh, this morning and just raise three questions for us as we consider whether we're walking and living in the spirit. And the first one is this, am I living with an awareness of the Holy Spirit's presence. Now, that question is for those who are believers. If you're not yet a follower of Jesus, if you're not yet a Christian, the work of the Holy Spirit in you is to show you your need for the salvation that Jesus provided when he shed his blood on the cross, when he died there, when he made provision for your full salvation. He will show you your need of His forgiveness. He will bring you to trust and faith in Jesus Christ. But if you're a believer, as Jesus said, He'll be with you and in you. So for those who are believers, 
Am I living with an awareness of the Holy Spirit's presence within me as I go to work tomorrow? As I begin my job, am I living with an awareness of the Holy Spirit's presence within me? Secondly, am I experiencing His guidance, help, and power? In order to experience His guidance, help, and power, I think we need to be more attentive to the Holy Spirit. Sometimes we rush through life, even rush through reading the Bible as if the Holy Spirit didn't exist. He's there to help us. Not only when we read the Bible, but in all of life. If I'm not experiencing His guidance, help, and power, is is there any way that I'm dishonoring Him or resisting His work? Bible says, don't resist the Holy Spirit. Meaning it's possible to do that. The Bible says don't grieve the Holy Spirit. Meaning it's possible to do that. So we should examine our lives from time to time to see if we're really honoring Him as we should. Would you join me as we pray about that this morning? Father, I want to first pray for any here who who don't truly know you yet, who may just know about you. And I pray for a work of the Holy Spirit to bring that one to an awareness of the need for forgiveness of sin. And bring that person to a trusting faith in the full provision of what Jesus did to save us from our sin. Lord, for those of us who are believers, increase our hunger, increase our desire, for the fullness of your presence and your power. We ask this in the name of Jesus. Amen.